Let's get to our message. Um, We're going to continue our series in Nehemiah, and uh, we're going to read the chapter of Nehemiah 2 today. So why don't we turn to Nehemiah 2 and read that together. The Word of God reads, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. Uh, And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king also had sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my, what God or what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out to the valley gate through the jackal wall and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been buried, burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked us and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, for the ways that you want to speak to us. And so, God, we ask today especially that you speak to us directly. Because, Father, we know that there really is a word that you want to share with us. And so, Father, make it clear. And make it so clear that our hearts not only get moved, 
but that our lives change and go in a different direction for your glory. We thank you, God, so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I, um, I am labeling my sermon today uh, the birthing of ministry. You know, I know I put it there. There was probably a different title up there because I, I just changed it like five minutes ago. <laughs> you know, last week, I, you know, I, I talked about becoming a minister and I felt like God, there was something about this story of Nehemiah that when you read it, you're like, wow, this guy was just doing his thing. But then all of a sudden God starts to work in his heart and in his life and he completely changed. And the whole book is about a man who is completely changed. And so I thought, oh, wow, chapter one kind of shares with us God working in this man's life to, so that he might become Someone that makes an impact for his generation. And then all of a sudden we get to chapter 2 and we see something that really, really special that I think does not occur enough in Christians today. And that's, that's an ordinary man doing what he's been called to do on a daily basis, all of a sudden being transformed into a brand new ministry, a brand new direction that God has placed upon his heart to do. And because of his simple obedience and because God birthed this ministry within his heart, all of a sudden the people in his generation get impacted mightily. And so chapter two to me is a big one. It's a heavy one. It's a significant one because we see a ministry get birthed in this person's life. And there's a part of me that's like, man, I don't see that enough today. I see a lot of Christians who go to church and they love what they do. They love their job. They love their friends. They love their church. But it's rare to see people driven by this vision of what God has placed upon their heart to do for their generation. When was the last time you talked to a Christian and you could just sense, man, God is driving this person to reach the lost in our generation today? When was the last time you felt like that at church? When was the last time you had a Christian friend or a Christian fellowship interaction where you're just like, wow, I want to be like that. There is something eternal going on in this guy. That should be the norm. Don't you think? For people who are connected with God and the eternal, that should be the norm. And I just think that doesn't occur very much these days. I can't remember the last time, even as a pastor, I, I've, that I've heard congregation members telling me, Eddie, oh, God has placed something upon my heart so that God wants to use me and my gifting to reach my generation for his glory, you know? But I believe that's who we all should be if we're connected to the eternal one. If we know that we've been saved for eternity and we've been given life to live it another day, then doesn't it just make sense? There must be something eternal that God actually wants us to do with the rest of our lives if we have it here on earth. And I'm convinced that it is. And so there's a part of me that's like, and so the whole, the thrust of the message today is this. Please, let us somehow, some way, never be convinced that good Christianity is living a good moral life, attending church regularly and not sinning majorly, as if that really pleases God. But there is something eternal that God wants to birth in each one of us because you were created and you were saved to impact your generation for the glory of God. But it's such a rare thing for people to think that way. And it doesn't make sense, does it? Right? It makes total sense. And we all should be like that. And so today, if, you, if there's nothing else that you get from my message and from this chapter, it is this. That when you were saved by Jesus Christ, 
you were saved for his glory. And if you were saved for his glory, then there is something eternally glorious that God wants to do through you with your life here on earth. And that's it. And there's a part of me that's like Christians need to search for that. Christians need to move in that direction to align ourselves with who God is and what he desires for us. And when that happens, ministries get birthed within our lives, right? And that's what happens here in Nehemiah chapter 2. I love what Nehemiah says in verse 12. In verse 12, he says, I had not told anyone what God had put upon my heart to do. I love that. I think Christians should be able to say, God has placed this upon my heart. And this is how God wants to use my life to reach my generation for his glory. I, that's all I pray for, you know, for you guys. That you guys will move in that direction and be men and women who are absolutely convinced and convicted that there is a ministry that needs to be run through you to reach our generation for his glory. What do you guys think about that? Is that Amen. I mean, I hate saying that. I'm not, I'm not that type of preacher that make people say amen. But I feel like saying it today because this is it. This is one of those messages where it's kind of like, man, this is the big picture of the big picture of the big picture. Not just the gospel where we're supposed to be saved, but the reason why we got saved. And hopefully our passage today will help you move in that direction. You know, it's a scary thing to have God put something or someone upon your heart. But that's something that's absolutely necessary for us. It's the greatest thing that can happen to you because not only does it cause us to now live our lives truly by faith, trusting in him, trusting in his promises, trusting in what God has put upon us, but when we start living our life in faith like that, it really moves us from living in worldliness. It, it's like it happens together. And that's what we were created for, you know? So the story of Nehemiah here really is the story of God moving powerfully through this man of faith. And chapter 2 reveals to us exactly how God birthed his, this ministry in Nehemiah's life so that he could become a man of faith who powerfully lived for the glory of God. And I really believe that is what God wants to do in each one of our lives. You were meant to be used eternally for his glory, right? And that is hopefully a great joy. Hopefully that statement gives you like the greatest of joys in your life. So today's message really is a continuation of last week's message, and I hope it challenges you, and I hope it awakens you to seek after, if you don't know already, your eternal purpose, the eternal purpose that God has for you and your family. Our passage reveals three ways that God birthed this ministry through this person of Nehemiah. And the first way that he did that was through prayer. Let's look at verses 1 to 4. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of our king Artaxerxes, when wine is brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, but the king said to me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the king, when the city where my ancestors are buried and, and buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. You know, I talked about prayer a lot in last week's message, but I really can't stress it enough. Chap the, the time between chapter one and chapter two is four months right? That's the time difference between chapter one and chapter two. And what this is telling us is that for four months, 
Nehemiah has been praying. He's been fasting. He's been praying. He's been burdened for four months. Now, you know, if anyone here, everyone here knows, any Christian here knows, it's really hard to pray about something for a long time, for three months. I mean, when was the last time you prayed for one thing for three months? It just doesn't happen. But if there's one thing that I'm convinced of, if anyone's going to pray about one thing for three or four months, they're really burdened by God about it. God has placed a burden upon this person's heart to pray for those things for that long. The only time I think I've ever prayed that long was when I found out that my unborn child had heart issues, right? My wife and I prayed for months, right? But any parent would, and that makes total sense. But this man prayed for that long. So the question that I had was this, and this is the natural human question is, when Nehemiah started praying for Jerusalem, was he burdened from day one, right? Was that something that drove him from day one? And the question, and the answer is, I don't know. Maybe, or maybe not. But one thing for sure is anyone who prays that extensively for that long is driven by God's heart for it. There must have been something that when he woke up, he couldn't help but think of it, pray about it, you know, and just to keep on praying about it. God was deepening his heart for Jerusalem, and he was deepening his heart and care for his people to the point where we find out in chapter two, he's like, I got to go. I can't just sit here and pray and wait for God to do something. God is calling me to go. And he knew that it simply wasn't going to rebuild walls. He was absolutely convinced that he was going to rebuild people's hearts for God. And all that took place in prayer. You know, I really believe that all of us must learn how to pray. And when I say that, what I really mean is I think the people of God today, and that's something that's radically missing in our generation, is people who spend extended times with God in prayer. Right? When was the last time you spent extended time in God with, in prayer? And not just specifically spending time with God in prayer, but spending time with God in prayer for people. Because people are burdening your heart. And God is building a burden for these people upon your heart. It is in the cauldron of prayer when we are found wrestling with God that ministries, eternal ministries for his people get birthed. It is in the cauldron of prayer when we find ourselves wrestling with God over his people that ministries get birthed. And we then emerge as people who cannot help but to move eternally for his glory. There's nothing you can do, but you got to go. And you got to do something. And that's what needs to happen for God's people. This is what we were saved for. You know, in our passage today, uh, the king recognizes that Nehemiah is sad, okay? And that's actually kind of a scary thing. I bet Nehemiah didn't even know that his sadness was being revealed. But his heart was so in tune with God's sadness over his people that you know, Nehemiah showed it. I bet he didn't even know he did. But did you know that you weren't allowed to show sadness in the presence of the king back then? It was actually punishable by death. And the reason why was uh, sadness reflected the quality of the king. Your emotions in front of the king reflected the quality of the king. So if you were sad, that showed that this was a bad king. And so he killed you because he didn't want to feel bad about himself. And that's exactly what the law was. And so when, when all of a sudden the king asked Nehemiah, hey, why is it you look so sad? I bet number one, it says, the text says he was absolutely afraid because he's like, oh my goodness, I didn't mean to, but I couldn't help it because God's heart for his people makes me sad just as much as God is sad for them. But then he realized, oh man, as sad as he was, 
he shared exactly to the king why he was so sad. And the reason why he could do that easily is because he, I bet he knew there was this day was going to come one day. We know God had moved his heart so much in the past four months that he knew he had to go. And I'm sure one day he's like, oh, man, I got I to tell my boss. <laughs> I got to tell my boss I got to leave. And so I'm sure he knew it was, the day was coming. Maybe he didn't expect it to be this day. But all of a sudden he realized that this was the day. And then what does the text say? What does the text say in verse 4? It says, then I prayed to God. And I'm sure that prayer was like, oh my God, this is the day. This is the moment, isn't it? God, give me the courage. Give me the strength to do exactly what you said is going to happen. And so he boldly tells the king why he is sad at the threat of his own life. Right? But that's how much Nehemiah was driven by his conviction for this particular ministry. I really believe that what's missing in modern faith these days is our believers who spend extended times with God in prayer. I think a lot of believers, we just don't do it. Even when there are dire things to pray about, things like war, things like famine, things like displacement, things like the lost who are going to hell, which is all around us all the time, right now, right in front of our faces, in our ears, through every YouTube channel you go to, yet we still don't pray when there's people dying. We still don't pray when the need is so clear. We just don't do it these days. We know that the lost is worthy enough to spend hours, days, weeks, months, years to pray over, right? Aren't the lost worthy enough to pray in that way? Yet, unfortunately, if I'm honest with you, I can't remember the last time I spent extended times, we're talking days or weeks, over a certain person who might have been lost. But I think that's what's missing in faith today. Maybe you're like that too, and we need to move in that direction. And, it because, and I think because we don't do that, I think it makes total sense that what you find in the church today are believers who have no idea who God has called them to reach, right? I think it makes perfect sense. We don't spend time with God. We don't spend time praying for his lost and for his people, for the, the needs of the world. And therefore, ministries never get birthed within our hearts. Our hearts never get convinced and convicted to be the person that God wants to use to reach these people who are in such dire need. And because of that, we as Christians who attend church our whole lives, we are still confused at 25 years old, at 30 years old. I don't know who God wants me to reach. It makes sense. And so... We need to pray, don't we? Because ministry needs to be birthed within our lives. So the question I want to ask you is this. Will you start doing that? Right? Does it make sense? Shouldn't we be being used in that sense? No Christian was created and saved just to live a good Christian life and go to church. You know what I'm saying? But we were all created and saved to live for his eternal glory and to reach our generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of you, all of you were meant to be used to reach your generation for his glory. But we just don't spend enough time in prayer over his people. So will you start doing that? Let me tell you the real, here's the reality. The reality is that's what we were created for. That's what we were saved for. But sin infected us. Sin tainted all those desires. Sin, sin tainted that design. And so the reality of us every single day is no one really wants to do that. All right? You hear messages like this. You're like, Eddie, sounds right. Sounds eternal. Sounds correct. But I just don't want to do it. 
sounds great, but, and I know I'm supposed to do it, don't want to do it. And the reason why is because of sin, okay? Um, we'd rather all live for ourselves. But unfortunately, here's the answer. The only thing that's going to change that is prayer. The only thing that is going to change that is when you realize that's the design. I'm just going to obey the design. That's the truth. That's his word. That's what I was created for. And you want to know something? Even though I don't want it, I want it. And in order for me to have be that kind of man, be to be this kind of woman, and to be used in this way for his glory, and to live a life of faith rather than just living like the world does, I need to pray so that God can change me. We need people to start praying. Okay? Um, because it's in that prayer that his ministry in your life will be birthed. So... Um, Please don't be a Christian that just goes to church and convinces yourself that, you know, that's all you need to do. But seek and discover the ministry that God really has prepared for you. He does. I'm convinced of it. Seek him and discover what that is. Because there's nothing greater than moving in his direction for his glory. And that begins, that's driven by, and that is accomplished in prayer. Uh, Over the years, I've encountered people you know, who are absolutely convinced of the mission that God has given them. I have people in my churches and previous, you know, this guy saying, oh, I'm called to motorcycle gangs. I said, dude, you're like an Asian. You know, you don't even ride a motorcycle. But I don't try to judge, but I judge. You know, oh, I'm called to the fashion industry. Oh, I'm called to a wine club. Literally, I've had people come say, I feel like God's calling me to this elite wine club. And, you know, I'm like, that's great because who knows? Who knows what God has planned? I'm not going to criticize it that much. I will in my heart, but I won't say it to your face. But, you know, who cares because, you know, God has plans for each one of us to reach different areas of the world. And it's beautiful and it's awesome. And I celebrate that. I've had others tell me that they're called to fight injustice in the world, to fight poverty, to take heart in healing people, take part in healing people. Others, you know, giving their whole lives to reach their workmates or their families in Christ. But regardless, it makes no difference to me. But what makes, but what I really am just trying to move you towards is to be a person that is driven by what God has placed upon your heart. Who God has placed upon your heart to reach for his glory. And I tell you what, you know what that does on a practical level? It changes churches, right? When you come, when you, when you come to church and there's other people around you that are living for eternal things, that when they share their prayer points, it's about those eternal things, the people they want to reach, the ways, the, the supernatural ways that they want to be used by God to reach people, to make a difference in people's lives for their generation. All of a sudden, church starts to change because you're surrounded by people who just cannot help but to live by faith. You know what I'm saying? And are focused upon those eternal things. And that changes the character and the nature of churches. And I want to go to a church filled with people like that. You know what I'm saying? Let's become people who are like that. But it all begins with prayer. So please, let's, let's begin spending extended times with God in prayer. Secondly, God births ministry through us through planning. Planning. 
uh, verses 5 to 8 says, I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me into the city of of Judah, where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Now, I know I read that quickly, but this is what's happening. All of a sudden, he's sad. He's shocked. Nehemiah, he's afraid for his life, but he tells the king exactly why he's sad. King then, out of nowhere, asks, okay, well, what do you need then? And I would have been shocked. I'm sure Nehemiah was shocked. But then all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. He's like listing off everything that he needs in, in like perfect detail. And to me, is that surprising? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's really surprising because in my opinion, what it shows me is that Nehemiah not only prayed to God about what he was called to, but the moment he realized that he was called to rebuild walls and rebuild people in Jerusalem, what did he start praying about? He started praying about all the details. What does it take for that to happen? And I'm sure he started to pray over every detail of what needed to happen in order for him not only to make the journey over there, and not only to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but also to rebuild the people. And so the list that he just, you know, you know, spews off to the king. It's so detailed. So he asked for like a minimum of three years. I need three years to be away from you. I need letters to all the people for safe passage. I need a letter to get to all the supplies that I need. I need a letter for the walls. I need this for the gates. I need this for my house. And it's so in detail. You know, a lot of times we think that we need to pray so that we can get the big picture. But one thing that we always forget is that we need to pray over the details of how to do it. Not only who we're called to reach, but how we're called to reach them, right? Knowing who God has called us to is the start. We now need to pray about how God wants us to carry out this ministry. I always find it very interesting whenever I read the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, that Jesus will always say stuff like this. Oh no, we can't do it that way. We have to do it this way because this is the Father's will. Oh no, we're not going to go in that direction. We're going to go in this direction. Why? Because, I don't know. This is the Father's will. You know, even him dying upon the cross, he literally says, I'm only doing it. Because this is what God told me to do. And this is how God wants me to do it. I know it makes no sense for me to die on a cross for your sins when you have so many things that you want from me. But this is the Father's will. I'm going to do it His way. You know, and I love that about Jesus Christ. And I really believe that's one of the blessings of extended prayer. When you spend time talking with God, not only what you're supposed to do, but He shares, He shares, He starts to share with you insight and wisdom into how you are to do that ministry. I have learned over the years um, not only to bring ideas to God, but to pray over ideas. And to, you know, I lay these ideas on the altar. I start talking to God about all these ideas and I ask him, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? How should I do it? Should I do it this way? The reality is a lot of times I say, I want to do it this way. I want to do it this way. I want to do it this way. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I want to do it this way. A lot of times I just find myself telling God what I want, you know, and I pray over all of those things. 
But whenever I, the longer I pray over the details, I always feel like God gives me wisdom and insight as to how stupid I am about the things that I brought. And then he starts to correct things. He starts to share things in a bigger way, things I never even thought about. Things that I, ways that, and certain emotions and situations and people or, or consequences that maybe I never even entertained. And that God starts sharing his way with me. But I think that only happens when you care enough about who you're trying to reach that you actually pray over those details. You pray over the strategies. You pray over the ways that you want God to move so that he can correct it, so that he could share his heart, his wisdom, his perspective, so that you can move in the ways that he wants you to. So many times in prayer, I go to him convinced that this is the best way, but then I get utterly humbled and broken when God says, no, I think this is the way to go, especially when in, term, in terms of things like discipleship, you know, I think already in this year, in 2022, um, there were so many ways that I've had a certain perspective and I was convinced this is how I'm going to lead the leadership in 2022. My CG leaders, the co-leaders, my officers, and I was convinced this is the way. And I would bring it before God and I'm like, God, you got to bless it. God, I got this great master plan. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. I'm like so excited in prayer. And all of a sudden God will be like, no, let's just do it this way. And it makes no sense to me. And I feel like, ah, you know, this is no, I don't want to. You know, because ultimately, there's whatever God calls us to, a lot of times I just got to die into myself and the things that I want in order to make his stuff happen. But the more I move in this direction, then my ministry becomes a ministry of faith, a ministry of trusting in God, a ministry that where he moves and I get no credit, no glory, no nothing, and that's good. But the biggest thing about it is that he gets to do what he needs to do. And I realize that I'm the obstacle a lot of times that's in the way. So praying over all those things changes us and changes our hearts and our perspective. And all that happens when we bring those specific issues before God and pray through all the details. Now, just to be clear, just because we plan through prayer doesn't mean that it's always going to work out the way we prayed. But what prayer does is that it opens up our hearts to move like God's and to be ready for God to move in his way. And through that, God positions us to trust him no matter what he does, and then to give glory to him however he chooses to do it. Okay? So let's learn to grow in faith through planning, which is really just praying over the details. Right? And lastly, um, all that stuff leads to prudence, okay, which is, I tried to make three Ps. That Anyway, okay, wisdom is a better word. Uh, it's 11, verses 11 to 18, but I'm not going to read all that because it's very, very long. But this is what happens. Nehemiah makes this long journey um, to Jerusalem. He spent four months riding on a camel to Jerusalem. So he decides, out of pure wisdom, I think I'm going to rest. Right? That's it. It's so smart. You know, the worst decisions get made when you're super tired. You know, I say the stupidest things when I am absolutely tired. I make the worst decisions when I'm tired. So what he decided to do, he decided to rest for three days. And while he does, he decides to scope out the situation. All the stories that he's heard, all the, all the reports, he decides to see for himself with his own eyes what's going on in Jerusalem. And so what he decides to do is he decides to take this nighttime ride. So he gets on a horse and he decides to take a nighttime ride to examine everything that go, that's going on. And that was very prudent and wise for him to do for three reasons. Number one, it gave him time to assess the sheer task of rebuilding. 
the wall was two kilometers long. It needed to be built about two meters thick and it needed to be built about seven meters high. That's huge, it's a huge task, it's a massive task. And so it must have been heart-wrenching to see the city of God absolutely fallen. Secondly, um, there were opposition. Twice in our passage we read about opposition from these guys. And so there were enemies about wanting to stop Nehemiah from doing this work. So doing it in the cover of darkness was extremely wise. He also said, I made sure I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. Thirdly, it gave him time to plan, and it gave him time to calculate, not the, the plan itself, but how am I going to win people to do this work? How am I, I going to convince people who don't even want to seek after God to do the work of God? And it gave him time as he's riding around on his horse during the nighttime to really pray about those things, to think about those things as his heart's being moved. He starts really praying for the people once more. And so what that happen, what happens when you rest in God during those times is that it gave Nehemiah this opportunity to assess the spiritual condition of the people and of the city and how that was all reflected in what he was seeing all around him. And it gave him time to come up with this plan to somehow mobilize and gather everyone to do the work. And we see that plan in action in verse 17. In verse 17, he tells them this, that the city is truly in ruins, right? It's a target of disgrace, which means that the surrounding people were mocking God because it looks as if when they see these walls that God forgot about us. But the truth was that the people are the ones that actually abandoned God. And so Nehemiah needed wisdom to get people back on board with God and then to rebuild these walls when they didn't want to. And so in Nehemiah's wisdom, he tells them the hand of God is upon them now. He shares his testimony and all the miracles of how God called him and brought him to this place. And he tells them confidently that God is going to finish this task. And that's why Nehemiah is sent. He tells them God is with you guys. So he invites them to partner with God and to take up this huge task, which they do. To me, that was a really wise approach to the task because not only did it tell the people the truth, but it motivated them to actually want to start serving God once again. And that kind of supernatural wisdom and supernatural power of God moving through your life, especially to move people who don't want to do it, is amazing. We need to be people like that for our generation, right? And so wisdom, that kind of wisdom can only come from God. And if we want to be people who live out our faith very powerfully, we need the wisdom of God in order to live out, reaching out, or reaching our generation in prudent ways. So, growing in our faith, God birthing ministries through us means growing in prayer, growing in planning, and growing in prudence. But all that really is done in prayer. You know, there is absolutely so much brokenness in our world today. There's so much brokenness even within the church today. And all of us seem to be becoming pros in the church today at recognizing problems. All of us are professionals at recognizing needs, right? We have prayer points galore all the time. You know, sorry for my voice cracking. <laughs> you know, we have prayer points all the time. And we were so good at recognizing all the stuff that God's not doing in my life, all the stuff that I want that's not happening within my life, and all the problems that are happening all around the world and all the needs. But unfortunately, the pattern that I'm noticing as a pastor is that the church does not seem to be filled with people who are running and stepping up in God to meet those needs. You know? And that's something that's not happening, you know? We're, our prayer points are not like, 
can you pray that God will cause me to be the answer to this guy's prayer? You know, can you ask God to cause me and to change me to be the person that will make a difference for my generation? I'm not telling you to, to pray like to, to share prayer points like that in your CG. I'm not. But you know what I'm saying? But I, I, I would I hope that that would be the heart of our generation, that we would be the ones that beg God to use us so that we could be used to reach our generation for his glory. Right? Because that's what we were created and saved for. There's a part of me that feels like in 2022 that the Christians in the church today were more like the walls of Jerusalem, you know, and even if we don't want to admit it. Um, this past week, you know, we've been, the storms have been coming down for like, what, three weeks now? And it's been pretty bad. Uh, my wife and I built a brand new house five years ago, and we love it. And the last thing I ever expected was anything to happen to this brand new, brand new, you know, brand newly built house. But something happened. A major thing happened. Like, you know, this the, the underside of our balcony like totally burst because it was like waterlogged. The waterproofing was terrible. And, you know, like if you come over, it's not bad. It's, just, it's bad, but it's not that bad. But for some reason, it hit me really, really hard. And I think the reason why it hit me so hard is because of our Nehemiah series. So praise God, this is happening within my life. And, and then, you know, like, uh, anyway, I, I couldn't sleep very well that night because I was like, oh my goodness, you know, you never would have noticed it when, if you looked at our house. I wonder what other parts of our house are rotting and we don't know. You know, I wonder what other parts of our house are like in trouble, but we just can't see, right? And I just started to get worried and I just stayed up all night worrying, right? I don't know, you know, don't ever own a house. There's too much on the line, right? I'd rather just rent so someone else can fix the problem. But I was like, oh, how much is this going to cost? You know, all the, you know, worries, real worries. But then after praying about it and spending a lot of time with God that night, complaining and just pouring out everything, finally I get to the point where I, because of our Nehemiah series and because I was preparing a sermon, there was a part of it that's like, oh my goodness, is this kind of parallel to what's happening in Nehemiah today? Do the broken walls and my broken house, are they like God trying to tell me something, right? And, you know, you get there at 3 a.m. when you're worried about you know, weird things at 3 a.m. Uh, but... I felt like it was true. And one realization that I came to and conclusion that I came to is like, oh my God, God, I really am, like my house really is like a reflection of my spiritual life. Because we built this thing new. It looks really good on the outside. Even on the inside, it looks really, really good. But internally, there are things that were rotting. There were things that were broken that no one would have noticed and no one has to notice until it gets so bad that it bursts. And maybe me staying up all night was myself bursting. Because what I came to conclude was like, oh my God, I think my faith is kind of like that. I work so hard to make sure I look decent. I work so hard to make sure that I'm just a little bit better than all of you. But I'm not that much better. You know, I work really hard to make sure that I sin just a little bit less than all of you so I could tell you not to sin. But internally, am I truly living my life and praying over the things that count for eternity? Or am I playing these stupid little religious game with my congregation? Right? How different am I than these walls? I'm not. There is something that was absolutely broken within me because I came to conclude that even myself, regardless if I have a job in eternal work, I was not living eternally. I was not living a faith-driven life. I was just living a very professional life good Christian one. But that, that, that latter one doesn't count. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I forgive me for projecting my 
experienced this week upon you guys, my congregation. But I hope that today's message today serves as a wake-up call or an awakening to all of us, especially if we've never gone in the direction of truly wanting our lives to be used to reach his people for his glory. But that's what we were created for. That's what we were saved for. And I truly believe that when you spend time with God, burdened with his people, that a ministry eternally that God has planned specifically for you will be birthed. And you will start to move your life in faith and experience God and be used by God in ways that you were created for and that you were saved for. There is a ministry that needs to be birthed in each one of us. A ministry that drives all that we do, that impacts our generation for Christ so that we can live lives of faith and eternal significance. So today I hope you get things right with God and that you begin to truly wrestle with him so that you can start living your life for your eternal purpose. Let's pray. I know today is just one Sunday. But maybe today is that Sunday. The Sunday that you finally realize, oh my gosh, this is why I was saved. It wasn't to live just a great life or to have hope for my eternal future. That stuff's secure. Christ secured your eternal security. You know what I'm saying? You're going to heaven if you have faith in Jesus Christ. But why do we have a life here? Why does God still allow me to wake up today? It's for this reason. It's because there is a ministry that you were created for. There are people that God has called you to reach. You were saved to impact your generation eternally for the glory of God. And all I'm asking you today on this day is to awaken to the fact that, wow, oh my God, God wants to use my life for eternal things. And my prayer is that that fact alone will give you the greatest joy till the day that you die and will continually move you to be a man or a woman that will spend extended times with God so that you can always be found in his will. Maybe today is the day. So will you spend some time with the Lord today and ask him to help you to move your life to walk in that direction? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, who not only gave us eternal life, a place in heaven forever, a place near you forever, a relationship with you forever. But Father, with this life that we have here on earth, the greatest privilege to be used for your eternal glory to reach our generation. God, I, pr I pray for each person sitting here, each person watching, listening, God, that they, you would move their heart to realize that this is what they were created and saved for and that they would want it beyond anything else. And so we, I pray, God, that you would move all of our people to want that and to live that for you. God, move our people to be men and women of prayer, people who just have to know your heart, have to know your will, want to move to make you happy. And people who are burdened with those who are lost in our generation today. God, uh, help us never be Christians who are fooled into thinking that we just have to live good and live right and live well. But help us to be people who are burdened with your heart for the lost in our generation. And move us to be people who meet those needs and to move as you would, to give our lives for them so that you might be known and worshipped and glorified in their lives as well. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.